This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. This is back to a constant discussion we have about centralization, decentralization, and what's made progress of late in terms of, let's say, workforce, supply chain, pharmacy, what can we scale versus what can we not scale? And then are we talking about a local market, large system with a bunch of locations that may be going through a review of their footprint and service distribution, or is a multi-state system that's going through an entirely different exercise and evaluating their entire portfolio about what's working and what's not? Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin. I get to do another exciting installment today of Grill Bill. Grill Bill is our longest running SG2 Perspective series where we get to hear from Bill Woodson, his recent travels, interactions, discussions with members and others across the health industry. So Bill, thank you so much for joining us again. My understanding is you've been in a pretty wide variety of markets in the last couple months, as have I, not as wide and not as many markets, but a lot of the dynamics and where systems are today shaped by demographics as destiny in some cases where they are today. But then there's this huge range in terms of their faith in their ability to find growth opportunities going forward. Have you heard something similar, big diversity of how they're looking at today and how they're looking at tomorrow, some based on markets, some based on other stuff? Sure. It gets down to a couple of factors for me. There's the tolerance or acceptance of risk across systems right now, and that's execution risk versus what the balance sheet and income statement might look like. And sometimes there's different points of view of the management team versus the board. How fast to move, how slow to move, how are we feeling about our underlying economics? What have we committed to capital? We've talked about balancing acts throughout 2023. What I hear now is about stability versus pace of change and how that feels internally and also how it's playing out in a given market across the country. And there's no specific answer to it. But as things have started to stabilize financially a little bit, there's a different conversation going on about strategy, operations and clinical performance. Yeah. So how different is that conversation around approaches to strategy right now? It gets down to underlying health of the balance sheet and the market dynamics, the fundamentals, and maybe also the competitive situation that a given health system might be in or the pressure they're feeling from a payer or a new entrant. So this gets very local very quickly. As they also look at their investment returns, are they or are they, are they not seeking financing right now? What is the capital plan bet versus the strategic plan bet? How are those coming together more naturally? At our executive summit in July, we had a panelist from Texas Health Resources who talked about meeting once a month or even more frequently about ongoing projects, capital budgets, what's on track, what's not, what's our willingness to challenge our assumptions, maybe pair the list and be much more deliberate about the decisions we're making. We've talked about being agile in decision-making. It just feels even more that way now. In the last three meetings I've been in with management teams and boards, there's a common sense of a time frame, and it's about 18 months. We don't want to be stuck in what they would have called a traditional budget cycle. We need a little more vision than that. So there's an 18 maybe 24 month point of view right now about what happens next. Something that I haven't heard, but surprised me a little, is systems haven't taken that challenge they're facing and tried to say, do we have the right scale to meet that? Meaning like, are there some systems that got so big that it's really hard for them to feel like that scale is giving them at first, it was more access to capital? Has that sustained? Have you heard them talking about that? Are you surprised they're not? It seems to me some of the really big ones are the ones who are making the biggest, most dramatic changes right now. Is that because they can? Have you heard them questioning that? 
This is back to a constant discussion we have about centralization, decentralization, and what's made progress of late in terms of, let's say, workforce, supply chain, pharmacy, what can we scale versus what can we not scale? And then are we talking about a local market, large system with a bunch of locations that may be going through a review of their footprint and service distribution, or is a multi-state system that's going through an entirely different exercise and evaluating their entire portfolio about what's working and what's not? I wish I could give you a more specific answer, but it's kind of all over the place. You got to know where you are right now in healthcare to have that discussion. You get to spend time with non-traditional providers, investors, as well as a lot of health systems. How are investors, PE, venture capital, looking at the current environment, seeing opportunities maybe in different places than traditional health systems? I got to facilitate a private equity meeting just a couple of weeks ago, and deal flow has slowed in 2023, but there's still a robust amount of money available for investing. And it's private equity versus venture capital because of stages of investment are going about this quite differently. So in the venture capital side, absolutely, there's interest in different sorts of startups in digital and artificial intelligence and what happens to generative AI. You can take the same topic and talk to a private equity firm about it. They're more interested in what their current investment portfolio companies are doing with that technology to help them change their operations. My sense on the PE side is there remains great interest in maturing companies on the physician group side, behavioral health, home care models, but it's a little more cautious at this exact moment. There's not been as many wins as there have been the last few years, but there's still plenty of activity out there and a willingness to shake up things in the right situation. Did you hear anything from that group that really surprised you or people who are zagging from a direction or a segment that many others were focused on? It may be our own bias or the questions I was asking, but I'm sensing there's a willingness now because of technology and the underlying economics to go back to looking at populations of patients and not the broad population health, but maybe you've seen the headlines on managing patients with end-stage renal disease, kidney disease. How can we go after risk differently? And I heard this from executives from United Healthcare as well as some smaller players that are going after much more targeted populations. I was with the CEO of Galileo who talks about their play right now with scaling some digital tools. There's a willingness to take a look at the population side that has been in play for Trevor, since you know you and I have been doing this for a long time, but something's back on the table about maybe our ability to do it or the willingness to look at the underlying math or the actuarial numbers around it. That seems like a huge partnership opportunity for traditional health systems. I agree. Flipping back to traditional health systems, one thing that I've been a little surprised to hear that they want our help with is kicking the tire on their mission and values and all this stuff's connected because they know they're going to have to look pretty different. Obviously, each incremental step of that redesign is really tough, as we talked about with Mike Luckis and some of the projects he's working on in a recent episode. Have you heard the same thing? Have you been part of those discussions? Where have they gone? Where have they touched on? Any interesting takeaways from that? Yeah, I was at a meeting with UAB, University of Alabama, Birmingham, maybe a month and a half ago, and they're definitely digging into their vision and mission because they've just not done it in a long time. And one of the internal questions that they're using just to facilitate this is, what's the urgency for change and what is the willingness to change? And asking that question across different stakeholder groups and seeing where the differences are. They're early in trying to sort this out, but you get the sense there is some division there coming out of COVID and what a large academic system should do next, given its constraints, its strategic bandwidth, its capital capabilities, but also the specific needs of the region that they're serving right now. And it was great to see. So it was very energizing to see a conversation across maybe a couple hundred people on that topic. 
One that I was a part of, it's really prompted by a new CEO. And it gives me the sense that they don't feel like it's a new CEO picking up the ball and running with it and keeping momentum on some good things. It's new CEO and we have to change a lot of the things that we're doing, processes, your favorite topic, org structures, and really how they present themselves to the community they serve because they know they're going to have to make some pretty dramatic changes, one of which is around health equity. It's a topic that sometimes, at least the members I've worked with, they want to spend a lot of time and energy on it. Most systems I work with have some good stories. The scale's different. What have you heard? Let me uh, pull this apart in two different answers. One is what I'm sensing because there is a new leadership team in place for whatever reason, retirements, turnover, that has brought a willingness to look at, you first talked about vision, mission, but it gets into planning cycles, organizational structure, span of control, things that we've not historically spent a ton of time on SG2, but these are in the room in any conversation I'm having right now. And then you asked about health equity, and I'm thinking about a system I was with a few weeks ago. It was a regional board retreat of a large national system. And one of the board members asked the CEO, and I will not disclose who the system is, Tell me about the intersection of health equity, some things that might feel political in our markets, and how our health system is positioned right now. And the CEO so eloquently took it on, and he said, all right, I think I know what you're asking. And he said, let me bring up a few statements for you. First of all, we know our culture, 12% of our employees identify as LGBTQ+, and we should consider that our population, the people we serve, identify in a similar way. And that brings up a lot of issues from a health equity point of view, culture, communication, training, onboarding. And he said, that's new for us to have that sense of awareness. The next topic, he said, this one will feel more uncomfortable because it's in the headlines. Let's talk about gender dysphoria, the trans issue that's up in many states. And the system is in some, he said, look, we had a meeting with all of our chief medical officers. And what they brought up was gender dysphoria is a real medical condition. We're here to treat real medical conditions. We're not going to have a megaphone about this, but that's here, that's in our market, and we're going to have to get used to that. And we're not going to have a big destination center, perhaps, for gender dysphoria, but we have to be aware of that. And he said the third topic is the one he's struggling with the most. It's gun violence. Gun violence is a public health issue in the markets we serve, and we're going to have to come to a point where we decide to take a point of view on that in the community because the patients show up in our emergency rooms every day, seven days a week. One other topic that I shouldn't be surprised, but that I'm getting asked to talk to more and more, which I need to get more comfortable talking about, is AI, the role it's going to play for health systems, how big of a deal it's going to make. Obviously, Nuance being part of Epic, that's something I've heard many health systems saying that's probably the way that they'll engage with it for now. They're pretty hopeful. What have you heard? How are you talking about that with health system leaders and boards? Thanks to our colleagues, particularly Andrew, we're able to take on some of the myths that may be out there about AI, answer them directly, and or give examples of clinical use cases and non-clinical use cases of how AI is being deployed, starting to scale and moving quickly. And yes, we have all sorts of ethical concerns. A conversation I had just last week with a group of physicians was, well, are we going to trust these clinical tools that are machine language models, machine learning, AI, generative AI? There's lots of terms that are being thrown around right now, but what we talk about is ethics, liability, and what if we mess something up using one of these tools? And then the flip side of the equation is, let's say we have a really robust tool for identifying sepsis patients with an AI tool and we don't use it. Are we liable for not using the technology? And some of you who may be listening to this have now started to hear about the terms about hallucinations. We're in uncharted territory here, but it's moving faster than even we can keep up with. And it's in every conversation I'm having right now. And Trevor, I would imagine six months to a year from now, we'll be having 
entirely different conversation. And let's just take a step back. Also, the payers are using AI tools to process claims, to deny claims, to edit claims. It's in the background already. It's more of how do we work it into clinical care in a meaningful way and hopefully as a means to relieve the burden of our frontline staff, nurses, physicians, documentation, things that were just not scaled or set up to do particularly well. Have you used the Dizian chat tool that they rolled out this week? I immediately used it for proofing. I asked it all kinds of silly questions about team building and interpersonal stuff. And immediately I was like, this is just going to be something that I use in 10 different ways now. A month from now, I'll use it in 10 different ways I can't even imagine right now. I can't wait to check it out. But as our colleague Andrea said, you have to think about AI as a member of the care team and as a member of your team moving forward in healthcare, regardless of the role that you're playing. And that's a different mindset. This was largely getting a download from some of the cool places you've been, great conversations you've had. And I think the most recent was at Vizient's Connection Summit this week. That's a huge Vizient conference in Las Vegas, very focused on awards and recognition for some of the highest performing systems across the clinical and operational databases. But it's also focused on some of Vizient's core businesses like supply, pharmacy, et cetera. What'd you hear? Any big takeaways? What are people talking about? I was fortunate enough to be with a large system in one state without giving away the name. And it was just amazing to see these different executives come together from 14 different institutions from lots of different types of geography and talk about how they're going to work moving forward, how they can collaborate. What is their quality performance like across the system? How can they improve it? Who's doing things well and why? What investments and innovations have we pulled off with pharmacy across the system? It's not a strategy discussion. It's more of a clinical care discussion. And of course, that moves into workforce operations pretty quickly, supply chain, certainly, but it's refreshing. This system is early in its journey, but enthusiastic about it. And then we see a system like the University of California that's all over the state. I've never been particularly integrated, but have made a ton of progress because of clinical leadership in specific areas to improve their quality metrics, the patient journey, their efficiency, their effectiveness, their patient-centeredness. These are powerful stories, and I can't wait to hear more about them as I interact with these systems over the next several months. All right, lightning round. As you probably do, I have a bunch of upcoming really fun interactions with boards and leadership teams. Fall's always busy in that way. How do you think the conversations are going to continue to evolve over the course of the rest of this fall and heading into next year? Which themes do you think are going to grow? Which things might fall off the table? What seems to be in front of me is revenue diversification, whether that's on the clinical ambulatory side or more of a mindset around innovation, venture capital, and private equity a different view of the footprint because of the capital constraints and thinking critically about virtual tools, digital health, and finally breaking through the logjam of access. And what we're hearing, like if you're unfortunate enough, as I am to attend quarterly earnings calls with some of the big payers, United in particular is seeing a pent-up demand for ambulatory procedures, ambulatory visits. There's a lot of demand out there and our systems are not set up particularly well to handle that demand, even though that might allow them to hit their growth goals in a way that they really like to do right now. I see a discussion about intentional growth, a willingness to just dig into work structure, processes, culture in a way that seems fresh and new and helpful. 
Yeah, I'm with you, particularly on the access piece, there's going to be this huge divergence in markets of systems that really focus on it and get it right and have great stories to tell about how they've done it. We heard some good examples from Lori Dowd from our team and Martha McElroy from the ShareMD team about how a system will say, like, we know we need to grow this. We want your really targeted marketing. And the first thing they do is this huge internal access assessment. And guess what most of it is? Cold calling the offices, seeing how many times they pick up the phone, how clunky it is. And they have some great solves for all of it. So that made me really hopeful that there's going to be a lot of focus and energy there from health systems. One more topic that came up at our exec summit and continues to come up in my meetings is just the role of pharmacy in health systems right now. So that's the chief pharmacy officer, pharmacy as a revenue driver, pharmacy as a profit driver, especially pharmacy 340B. It's in the room in a way that I've certainly not felt in my career with certainly pressure upon it and obviously brings in this whole set of innovations in cellular immunotherapy that's coming into the marketplace. This is new fluency in clinical care operations and strategy. I've only had one meeting where I brought it in and the board was so hungry for knowledge on this topic because they know how important it is to the health of the health system. Bill, thanks as always. Look forward to catching up with you again after a few more stops and a few more probably tough questions from great audiences. So thanks for sharing. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments or ideas for episodes and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com additionally i recommend that you check out some of the other Visient podcasts which cover a range of clinical and operational areas those can all be found at visientinc.com backslash podcasts mm-hmm.